Worried about letting someone else pick out the perfect avocado for your perfect impress them on the third date guacamole? Well, good thing Instacart shoppers are as picky as you are. They find ripe avocados like it's their guac on the line. They are milk expiration date detectives. They bag eggs like the 12 precious pieces of cargo they are. So let Instacart shoppers overthink your groceries so that you can overthink what you'll wear on that third date. Download the Instacart app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. Hey, Rob Bradford here. I have set out on a mission with my good friends at FanDuel to prove what I have known for some time. Baseball isn't boring. Now I have a daily podcast to prove it with some of the most notable people in the baseball world screaming baseball isn't boring from the mountaintops or at least agreeing to come on our show. Players, managers, GMs, and yes, even the commissioner of baseball, Rob Manfred. It has been a constant wave of baseball's most powerful voices. So join the revolution. Subscribe and soak in baseball isn't boring. Listen on your Odyssey app or wherever you get your podcasts. You'll be glad you did. It's 9.30 in 716. Let's talk polls, shall we? Ignore the national polls. They're a beauty contest. There are just more options for Vice President Joe Biden than there are for the president at this point. I'm Tim Wenger on 9.30 in 716. We all get the question daily, right? Who do you think is going to win? Of course, it all depends on who you ask, who asks you, and how you ask. And, of course, what you're basing the answer on. Oftentimes, it is the polls, right? And those polls have been pretty dauntingly pointing toward a Biden win in November. The word landslide is being more than uttered by some. Then, of course, there are those who say the polls are, forgive me here, BS, not accurate, even rigged. The polls are all over the place. If you go on Real Clear Politics and look at all the polls that they measure, it can be anywhere from Biden plus five to Biden plus 19. I mean, <laughs> one of those two polls is going to be wrong. WBEN political strategist Carl Calabrese is a polling skeptic and says they really can't be trusted at this point. My advice to your listeners is ignore the national polls. They're a beauty contest. You've got to look at the key eight or nine states that are going to deliver the electoral votes that pick the next president. That's what you've got to look at. In those states, as I say, Biden is leading in all of them. In the majority of them, it's within the margin of error. But that lead that he's had has not come down. It has not moved. I mean, that's one of the interesting things about this year's polling environment is how little movement there's been. So as we get into these last three weeks, I'm going to be checking the polls every week. And what I, so exactly what I'm going to be looking for is, is there movement? Is Biden's lead increasing or is it decreasing? And that will tell you a lot about the momentum that's going on as the electorate approaches Election Day. So you think, then, this race is a lot closer than it appears? It is at the state level, no question. It's not, you know, he, his biggest lead uh, in any given state is about 6.7 percent. I believe that's Michigan. Um, you know, so margin of error on most polls is about 5 percent. Uh, so, no, at the state level, it's not 12, 14, 19 points. And there's not... Not one of those key battleground states is showing that kind of lead for Joe Biden. Is the president doing enough to create that change in the polls? Well, you know, by the way, I thought Rush Limbaugh gave him the best piece of advice he could have given him if there's another debate when he said, you know, Mr. President, Joe Biden began to show signs of fading and going off into never, never land in his answers. And you spoke over him. You interrupted him. You, you bailed him out. Don't do that again. 
that was great advice. But again, I think if, if that's one of those dots I talked about, that if he's just talking to his base, it's his voting base and the non-voting base from 2016 that he's trying to, to attract. Um, and they listen to Rush Limbaugh. Now, is, you know, as I said, he's had this COVID diagnosis. It's taken him off the campaign trail. It's going to be very interesting to see if he does what he did four years ago, begin concentrating on those eight or nine key battleground states and get very focused and very disciplined on his message. It's kind of been all over the place. He's got to get his message and he's got to deliver it. After 2016, there is somewhat of a distrust of polling uh, amongst the public. You think? Everyone questions polls, especially when they disagree with their side of the aisle. They must have improved their methodology in the past four years, right? But even if they did, say Trump proponents, the hardcore Trump voter won't tell the pollsters the truth. We ran an unscientific poll on WBEN.com, for example, asking how people show their support for their candidate, and the majority say they don't. They keep it to themselves. How do you poll through all of that? Sifting through it all is Galen Druk, an interesting guy with 538.com. National-level polling in 2016 was not that far off. You know, we there are always polling errors, and it's just a question of how big they are, not whether they'll happen. In 2016, the national polls were showing Hillary Clinton winning by four points, and she won the national vote by two points. That's a two-point polling error. It's not that big. The more important polling errors, of course, were in some of the battleground states like Wisconsin, Michigan, and Pennsylvania. And, you know, pollsters have spent more time polling those states this time around and making sure that they're capturing a more representative slice of the electorate. And so I think that uh, the state-level polling we have in 2020 is pretty solid. You know, we should expect polling errors. They are very common. Um, it's just a question of how big they'll be and in which direction they'll go. Um, but, you know, I think that people should pay attention to polls. Four years ago, Galen, we saw something called shy Trump voter syndrome, voters who were reluctant to tell a pollster that they were going to vote for Donald Trump. Given the turmoil this year, do you think it is a factor? Well, I think it's a question whether or not shy Trump voters were responsible for Trump's victory in 2016. And there's a couple things that we can look at to try to understand that dynamic. Uh, first of all, we saw that in late breaking undecided voters went for Trump. And that's a big part of why he won. So it's not necessarily that they wouldn't tell pollsters who they were going to vote for. It's that there were a lot of people who were undecided late in the race because 20% of the American electorate didn't like either Hillary Clinton or Donald Trump. And so they weren't enthusiastic about voting for either. In the end, with the you know opening of the investigation of the James Comey letter at, in late October, it seems like undecided voters who disliked both of them swung towards Trump. So it's not necessarily that they weren't telling pollsters the truth. The other thing that we should look at is that in if there were a shy Trump voter, you would expect that person to exist more in blue parts of the country, right? Because they would be shy of sharing their opinions that may be at odds with their neighbors. If you're in a red part of the country that likes Trump, you're surrounded by Trump supporters. So why would you be shy about it? And what we actually saw is that in blue parts of the country, Hillary Clinton overperformed her polls. And in red parts of the country, 
Trump overperformed his polls. So it, it, that dynamic wouldn't exist if there were a large contingent of Trump voters. And just think about, I mean, think about the Trump voters that you know in your life or that you see on TV. People don't seem all that shy about their support for Trump. When you uh, take a look at some of the, the polling numbers, and you mentioned um, the likability of Hillary Clinton and Donald Trump leading into 2016, it appears, you know, when talking about Joe Biden, that the polling would tell us that the likability is better, but the enthusiasm necessarily isn't there. Right. So in 2016, both Hillary Clinton and President Trump had negative favorability ratings. So uh, Hillary Clinton's favorability rating was around negative 12, whereas Joe Biden's this time around is around plus four, plus six in that range. So that's a good development for Joe Biden. Now, he is not a kind of candidate who really motivates the base. Um, He's more of a persuasion candidate. He's trying to win over moderates and centrists and so on. So there is not the same level of enthusiasm, but a lot of politics today are driven by what we call negative partisanship, which means people are more motivated to vote against the party that they don't like than they are to actually vote for their own party. So if you look at enthusiasm levels amongst Democrats for voting against President Trump, those are really high. And that's almost just as important as enthusiasm for voting for Joe Biden, because that's going to get people to turn out to the polls as well. You know, it seemed, Galen, in the past, you couldn't win the White House without winning Ohio and Florida. Has that changed? And are there other battleground states that you're really keeping your eye on this time? Yes, that has absolutely changed. Joe Biden could certainly win the presidency, without winning Ohio and Florida. If he won Pennsylvania, Michigan, and Wisconsin, he would win the presidency, and he wouldn't have to pick up Ohio or Florida. And in fact, he may be pretty competitive in Arizona as well, which would make that even more the case. So Joe Biden can win the presidency without either of those states. Donald Trump certainly cannot. Donald Trump needs to win Florida and Ohio almost certainly, in order to win the presidency. So the math, there are just more options for Vice President Joe Biden than there are for the president at this point. We've been talking a lot this morning about the Supreme Court, obviously, with the confirmation hearing going on, but also this new talk of packing the court, which would bring not just the presidential race, but a lot of the other races, the Senate races especially, um, into the spotlight heading into the November elections. What do your uh, polling data and models say about the Senate majority um, going forward? Absolutely. Right now we give Democrats about a 70% chance of winning the Senate. Uh, That's better than 50-50, but it's not a foregone conclusion at all. Democrats are in some pretty competitive races. There's a lot of, you know, very, very close races in Iowa, for example, in Georgia, in North Carolina. And these are seats that Republicans currently hold. It's hard to beat an incumbent. So, you know, while there are a lot of possibilities for pickups, it's, you know, it's certainly not a foregone conclusion. The current makeup is Democrats have 47 seats, Republicans have 53. Democrats need to pick up three seats in order to get it to a tie, which if Joe Biden were to win, the vice president breaks a tie in the Senate. However, Democrats are expected to lose a seat in Alabama. Doug Jones, who uh, is, you know, is a very rare Democrat in Alabama. And so if he loses, Democrats actually need to pick up four seats, which means they're going to be looking at some, some seats 
that are in relatively Republican territory that they need to pick up. Some pretty intriguing perspective and insight on polling and what keeps the pollsters up at night heading into the November election is over at 538.com. That's 930 in 716. We're back tomorrow with another edition from the studios of WBEN Buffalo. Hey, Rob Bradford here. I have set out on a mission with my good friends at FanDuel to prove what I have known for some time. Baseball isn't boring. Now I have a daily podcast to prove it with some of the most notable people in the baseball world screaming baseball isn't boring from the mountaintops or at least agreeing to come on our show. Players, managers, GMs, and yes, even the commissioner of baseball, Rob Manfred. It has been a constant wave of baseball's most powerful voices. So join the revolution. Subscribe and soak in baseball isn't boring. Listen on your Odyssey app or wherever you get your podcast. You'll be glad you did.